I'm probably like more confident than I should be, <laughs> but I, uh, I don't know. I think it seems like super fun. I'm in a beautiful open field in Glover, Vermont. It's a tiny town way up near the Canadian border, just about an hour and a half east of the Burlington airport. And at the moment, my new friend Ziggy is strapping my legs into stilts and helping me stand up. Okay. Watch your head. You're doing great. Oh, this is, I was way too confident about this. <laughs> Ziggy is a puppeteer, but do not think little marionettes or cuddly hand puppets. Think gigantic, towering, papier-mâché creatures. For her performances, Ziggy and her fellow puppeteers put on huge stilts, long cloaks, and gigantic papier-mâché heads. And they go and walk around and act in these things. I, uh, however, am literally just trying to stand up. And I'm lifting my feet with you. Make sure to lift the knees. Whoa. Whoop. Yeah. I was all like, give me the three-foot stilts. Do not give me the three-foot stilts. I do not want the three-foot stilts. I am extremely high in the air as we are. In just a few hours, Ziggy and her crew are going to put on a big show for this tiny Vermont town. It is a true spectacle. There is music and puppets and stilt walkers, and they even feed you at the end. That's because Ziggy is part of the Bread and Puppet Theater. It is a performance company that has been putting on radical political puppet shows for over 60 years. He's doing it! I am Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. And this Small Town Big Story episode was produced in partnership with Go USA TV. Today, I'm heading up to Glover, Vermont, to see how a radical puppet collective has shaped a small New England town, and vice versa. That's after this. How did he do on his first run here? I think Dylan did a pretty good job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, you like kept with it. Like, you, didn't, you didn't give up. I like, didn't give up. That's true. That's, then that's like the number one thing. Yeah. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I love the book, The Power Broker, the epic biography of former New York City planner Robert Moses. So I'm breaking it down 100 pages at a time and talking to special guests about why this book matters, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I actually think if it wasn't for Robert Moses, I probably wouldn't have run for Congress. Listen to 99% Invisible's breakdown of The Power Broker every month on the 99% Invisible podcast feed. This is a shaker barn built in about 
Peter Schumann is the artist behind this operation. And Peter was born back in the 1930s in Silesia, which is now part of Poland. And his childhood was one of chaos and destruction during the Second World War. In the 1960s, Peter came to the United States with his wife, Elka. And they moved to New York City and got involved with this growing avant-garde art and performance scene. Peter started experimenting by making these larger-than-life papier-mâché heads and then wearing them in marches against the Vietnam War. And Peter also started writing these theatrical performances for his puppets, too. They were different from normal plays in the sense that they relied a lot less on dialogue and a lot more on music and the expressive movements of these puppets. One example is a play from the 60s called A Man Says Goodbye to His Mother, which is all about a kid who gets drafted. We have enemies! Far away! In this production, an actor wearing an enormous Uncle Sam puppet recruits these young men for the war. We will go into their country. And later, one young man's body is brought back to his mother, this beautiful and mournful puppet head. He is dead. Peter Schumann's performances were definitely born from that era's protest movement, but they also really stood out. They were this unique blend of First Amendment free speech with art and theater. In the early 1970s, the Bread and Puppet Theater was granted a residency at Goddard College in Vermont. Then, in 1975, Peter and Alka relocated to Glover, this little town in the northeastern corner of Vermont. And that's where they've been ever since. Today, 
Politics is still the lifeblood of this theater. The pieces they perform are written in collaboration between Peter and other theater members based on what's going on in the headlines. Recent shows have touched on climate change, labor conditions for migrant workers, and income inequality. Pretty heavy topics, but they're also being talked about by puppets. Puppets are like a de-escalator. And like, even if you don't necessarily agree with the message, I think people are able to kind of at least listen um, instead of just completely shutting us out because we are saying what we're saying in a weird way that people don't expect. There's something else that helps them deliver these messages, too. How many loaves of bread do you think you eat? Oh, my God. Hey, I'm not good at math. <laughs> Count. It's got to be hundreds, tens, tens of thousands. Bread and puppet is not just a catchy phrase. The bread part is very literal. Peter bakes tons of bread before every performance, and it's shared with the audience after every performance. Now watch out. This is vicious activity, as I said. Bread and art are like the central things to what we do here. And the theater was kind of created with this concept of breaking bread and sharing it with friends and strangers and bread as a tool to create community rather than just a simple food item. They are breaking bread with whoever has come to watch them perform. But that often includes the members of this larger community that they're a part of. Glover, it's a very particular town. There's a, a lot of different kinds of folks that live in Glover, from traditionalist, conservative, old-style farming folks to hippy-dippy back-to-the-landers. This is Claire Dolan. She was in Bread and Puppet in the 90s and still volunteers with them. She's a nurse and runs a museum in the area, the Museum of Everyday Life. The winters are long. I think the ruggedness of the life here and the weather here and the sparseness of resources and infrastructure here means that we all have to really live with each other in a way that maybe you don't have to when you're in a big city. But still, Claire says a radical puppet collective can be an unusual neighbor to have. Bread and Puppet is a, is a weird, it's a weird anomaly in some ways. It's a weird presence, I think. Um, you know, there's been incidences over the years, like the puppeteers swimming naked at the, at the beach and offending, you know, local families. Or there have been tensions over the years when the theater used to have our domestic resurrection circus. Starting in the 1970s, Bread and Puppet put on an annual domestic resurrection circus, a weekend-long circus festival bonanza. And people traveled from all over the country, even the world, to see the circus. At its peak, about 30,000 people would converge on Glover. But the event's popularity was a double-edged sword. In the 1990s, there were growing concerns about the rowdiness of the crowd. There was drinking and drug use. And in 1998, a man was killed in a fight on a campground outside the festival. Residents and local politicians called for a change. Peter and the theater declared that the circus, in its old form at least, was done for good. Today, Bread and Puppet gives much smaller one-night performances spread out over multiple weekends. On a good night, crowds number in the hundreds, not the tens of thousands. 
Elke Schumann, Peter's wife, was also a co-founder of Bread and Puppet. And for her, these smaller crowds meant that they now had an audience that they could, as she put it, actually smile at and look in the eyes. Claire Dolan agreed that there was a real connection between the performers and the community. It's a web. It's a web. And um, it's a complex relationship, but it's, uh, it's definitely the theater has, has shaped shaped the community and, and influenced the community, and likewise, the community has influenced the theater. Above and beyond! Welcome to our domestic resurrection circus! I spent two days in Glover before Bread and Puppet's big final performance of the season, and I got to see this beautiful landscape transform into the staging ground for an enormous performance. School buses were repurposed to ferry massive puppets down to the performance site, and families from neighboring towns came and set up and picnicked out in the meadow. And then a parade of skits, giant puppets, and choral singing that echoes throughout the hills, feeling sort of powerful and ancient. And then afterwards, when it's all said and done, we share some bread. My feet shall visit It's really beautiful in this day and age when community has been really hard for people to find during like the pandemic and stuff, that this still exists as a gathering spot for people. Um, and we are this little community of puppeteers and bread bakers and Nurses and doctors and cooks and chefs and <laughs> we all work together to make our lives better and to make our space better and to just coexist. You can find more information about Bread and Puppet Theater, including the performance schedules, at breadandpuppet.org. And if you want to see the theater in action and me trying to learn to stilt walk, you can see a video of this story from our Small Town Big Story series. You can find this and other episodes on our website. We dropped the link in the show notes for this episode. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Amanda McGowan. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire Seuss, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore. Our technical director is Casey Holford. And this episode was sound designed by Chris Naka and mixed by Luce Fleming. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There's a link in our episode description. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall, and I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. 
intuitive, smart features ensure they are always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Dakota Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Dakota Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Decodering, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by the New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one.